Father, we do thank you for the goodness that just is part of your character and the goodness that chases us down. Father, you found me when I was at my very worst and you grabbed a hold of my heart and you brought me to yourself and you have not stopped chasing me since. Even though I've tried to run, you always come get me. And I know that I am not the only one in this room who can say that. And I am very, very grateful for that. I pray, God, as we seek you in your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that he would be our guide, that he would illuminate the truth of your word to each of us, and that yours would be the voice that we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we looked at the two announcements uh, there was one announcement to Zacharias and Elizabeth regarding the birth of John the Baptist. There was a second announcement to Mary regarding the birth of Jesus, our Lord. Both of those, of course, by the angel Gabriel. And we talked about how I think he has one of the coolest jobs in the Bible. Every time we see Gabriel, he is announcing Jesus, uh, which is you can go all the way back to the book of Daniel and see that. And today, we get another unique aspect in Luke's gospel as we see the interaction between Mary and Elizabeth as well as Mary's song of praise to God. So we're going to start in verse 39. Now, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So if you remember back, Luke did some research. And that's why there are some things, some accounts in Luke's gospel that we don't read about in the other gospels. But that's okay. Because all four gospels together give us a much more complete picture. This is one of my favorites. So it says, in those days, this would speak of the time around Mary's conception by the Holy Spirit, and we know around the sixth month, according to verse 26, of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Mary goes to visit her relative. We discussed that. Chances are they may have been cousins, but we don't know exactly. The word relative in Greek just means a blood relative probably cousins, most likely since they were from different tribes related through their mothers, not their fathers. Which, again, really has no bearing on anything, but I find it interesting, so I keep sharing it. She goes to the hill country of Judah, and we see this incredible exchange. So as soon as Mary walks in, 
to Zacharias and Elizabeth's house, that Mary greeted them, right? At that point, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. She is filled with the Holy Spirit. She calls Mary blessed. She doesn't understand why she would be worthy to have uh, the mother of her Lord come to her. She tells Mary what happened and then blesses her and says, blessed is she who believes. There's so much goodness in here. So Elizabeth is first filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, before Jesus' resurrection, the filling of the Holy Spirit was typically temporary. It could happen over and over again, but it was typically temporary. Throughout the Old Testament, the only person, as far as I'm aware, that is perpetually filled with the Holy Spirit is King David. And we've talked about that in our studies in 1 Samuel. But most of the time, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person to complete whatever task was before them, and then the Holy Spirit would no longer be upon that person until the next time that was needed. As New Testament believers, Jesus promised us, you can go read John 14, 15, and 16, that can be your homework if you want. Um, I don't give homework, nor will it be graded. But you can go read those chapters where Jesus says, it's good for me to go away, because then I can send the Holy Spirit who will dwell in each of you. And we, as followers of Christ, when we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us forever. And we now are perpetually in the presence of God. There's a beautiful phrase that comes from Psalm chapter, Psalms don't have chapters, bad Jason, comes from Psalm 16, where it says we can live in the presence or before, literally before the face of God. And there's a, a Latin phrase called Corum Deo, which means that. It means we live before the face of God. And that's important for us. We are always 24 hours a day, seven days a week as followers of Christ in the presence of God. Now, there may be places you come to church, you're singing songs of worship, you're surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ where you are more aware of it than at other times. But I don't care if you're taking out the trash or cleaning the litter box or doing the dishes or taking a shower or watching pickleball on YouTube or playing pickleball or worshiping the Lord, which they should all be acts of worship anyway. We are always in the presence of God. And the more we recognize that, the better off we'll be. So, she is filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary and Jesus enter her house. And this is most likely where John was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, which was predicted, Gabriel said this to Zacharias back in verse 15. It's vital to note, we talked a little bit about it last week, but I'm going to bring it up again. It's vital for us to note that John was able to respond to Jesus from the womb. Jesus was in the womb. John was in the womb a little older. He'd been in the womb a little longer. But he recognized the Son of God. Elizabeth recognized that the baby Mary was carrying was her Lord. From the womb. Because there are people who would love to tell you it's just a clump of cells. Right? They like to use the word fetus. Well, fetus is technically accurate, but it's not a, just a clump. It's a baby. He or she is a baby. Beautifully created by God on purpose. Because God doesn't make mistakes. 
Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. I'm going to give two illustrations. One of them is going to take longer than the other. But this is really important to me for some reason at this moment. I'm going to blame God. My first illustration is this. Uh, I've, I've, been, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a pastor for going on uh, well, over 18 years now, which is very exciting for me. It makes me feel a little bit old to know that I've done anything that long. Uh, but it's true. And this has happened to me several times uh, where I have had someone, uh, a woman, not just someone, but a woman in the congregation who was pregnant, uh, where I was either a worship leader or I was the pastor. And, and it's true of Huxley and Holden to, uh, to some extent. Well, because the whole time, you know, uh, Courtney was pregnant uh, and came to church, they heard my voice. And, you know, typically when a baby's born, they recognize their mother's voice, they recognize their father's voice. Um, and they, it's the coolest thing in the world to me, they, they typically recognize my voice. And, it, and it's funny because I'm not, I mean, I claim them. I say they're, I, I want to pretend they're my grandchildren, my wife won't let me. Um, but I, I, I love them uh, like they're my own. Um, and, and they, but they know me. Right? And this is not because I'm great. It's because, well, like all of you, they suffered through, you know, nine and ten months worth of sermons uh, before they were born. They weren't given the choice. But they know my voice. Right? Just like they know a mom's voice through their dad's voice. How? If it's just a clump of cells. If it's not a life uniquely created by God, if it's not a life valued by God, how would they know that voice? Unless they were a person, are a person. Right? That, that's crazy to me to think that it would be any other way. I have a second, I told you I had two illustrations, didn't I? I've forgotten the other Which one. one was good and one was wrong. Which one was that? His left out of my brain. It'll come back later, I think. This is the point I'm getting at. Maybe it'll come back sooner. Who knows? Um, that's what happens when you get old. When you do this for 18 years, you start to forget things. Um, this pregnancy that we see before us in Scripture is evidence to us that a child in the womb has sentience, essentially. Right? That's one of the biggest arguments that, that the, 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 the pro-abortion group makes, is that, well, it's, it's a clump of cells, it's not a sentient being, we don't, you can kill something that's not sentient, which is a horrible argument. Because if you can kill something that's not sentient, then we can kill anybody who has a mental disability that causes them to lose any level or any amount of sentience. Sentience, by the way, is the ability to think and reason, just in case anybody didn't know that word. Um, 
What about a person who gets older and, and has Alzheimer's or has um, some sort of dramatic memory loss or lack of brain function, maybe due to disease or maybe just due to age or maybe they're younger and it's due to injury? Can we just kill that person? That would be wrong. There are nations in the world, like our maple leaf neighbors to the north, that they're, they're passing law after law after law for physician-assisted suicide, and, and they're trying to get it down. I think we're talking about it's down to age 13, where a 13-year-old can go to their doctor and without their parents' permission can have their doctor kill them. That's disgusting. Just as disgusting as abortion. But that's what the world is trying to do, is cheapen life trying to cheapen life. But that's not how God sees us. God sees us with great value. So much so that he let his son, actually sent his son, not just let, but sent his son to die on the cross for each of us. That's how much he values our lives. And he values a life from the moment of conception to the moment of death. And before that, and after it. I was reading, am reading, I'm not done with it yet, a book by Henry Nouwen about spiritual disciplines, which is really, it's, it's very fascinating. It's, a, it's an amazing book. But one of the things he talks about in that book, which has just really, uh, it's hit me really hard, um, in a good way, in a good way, is how we are the beloved of God. He wrote another book called The Life of the Beloved, which is amazing in itself. But in this book, they start talking about how we are the beloved of God before we're born, right? Even before the beginning of time, long before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? If it was long, because it's eternal, so long is a word that can't describe eternal. But before that ever happened, God knew you. He knew who he wanted you to be. He knew who he created you to be. He knew the gifts and talents he would give you. He knew what you'd look like. He knew all your mistakes and failures. He knew the color of your hair. He knew the size of your waist. He knew it all. And he loved you. Long before. Then the day came when you were conceived. And I was conceived. And in that moment, as Psalm 139 said, he began to knit you together in your mother's womb. You tell me how. Seed from a man, egg from a woman, turns into this 47 years later. If you count the time of pregnancy. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. But from that moment, he began to knit you together. From that moment, he saw you. And from that moment, all the days of your life were written in a book before your parents named you. Before your parents maybe even knew that you were floating around in there. God already knew. And then you're born. And every moment after that, he has a plan for it. Oh, and some of us run from it. Some of us get angry about it. Some of us don't want to follow it. Some of us reject it. And then his goodness chases us down. And when we listen, we come back. Oh, what a beautiful thing. But then the day comes when this life will end. 
It will. Sooner for some of us, later for others. Some of us are just starting out. We have some little ones around. They're just starting. Some of us are a little farther along than others. Some of us are a lot farther along than others. But one day, we'll take our last breath in this body. And for those of us who know Christ, that's just the beginning. Oh, what a glorious day. Because he loved us before we were anything. He loved us while we're here in this little short span of years we get on earth. And he's going to love us for all eternity. And he has that all planned out too. But the Bible says that we can't even imagine what that's going to be like. That's how much he values life. Now we are the apprentices of Jesus Christ. We are his followers. We must value that life just as much. And I'm not just talking about babies in the womb, though we should stand up for that because they can't stand up for themselves. But I'm talking about everyone. I'm talking about those who maybe have disabilities. I'm talking about those who maybe think their life isn't worth living. I'm talking about those who don't know what their purpose might be or don't know what their direction should be. I'm talking about those who are lost and who are going to find out very abruptly the consequences of not believing. We are to value every single life. We are to love them. We are to protect them. We are to share with them the hope of the gospel. I'm going to stop. Because um, I, I can't, can't remember the other illustration. Anyway, um, but value. We are to value it. Verse 42. Elizabeth responds, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Soon as I heard the voice of your greeting, the babe leaped to my womb. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her before or by the Lord. So first we see Elizabeth's humility. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth was the older relative. However, the Holy Spirit revealed to her who Mary was carrying, and Elizabeth humbled, humbled herself. As the older relative, Mary should have humbled herself before Elizabeth, but it went the other way around. Because God's economy works oh so differently than ours does, she recognized and worshipped her Savior while he was still in the womb. There's not a lot of people that got to do that. But Elizabeth and Zacharias, because he would have been there, would have. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think Mary's, uh, Elizabeth's example is a beautiful example of demonstrating that type of humility. Then she says, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth recognizes and admires Mary for her belief. Not only her belief in the Lord, and she herself believes in this fulfillment, but in Mary's belief in the Lord. Because we talked about this last week, when Mary said, may it be according to your will. Behold, I'm the maidservant of the Lord. May it be according to your will. Mary knew that being pregnant in that culture 
could mean her death. She knew being pregnant outside of wedlock in that culture could mean being completely ostracized if she didn't get killed. It, she knew that it would probably ruin her wedding, right? But God stepped in in Matthew 1 and told Joseph to, it would be okay. And imagine Joseph's faith. My fiance's pregnant. I didn't do it. And God says, it's okay. You can marry her anyway. Joseph. That's a man of God. I would have a hard time with that. But God told Joseph, and Joseph said, yes, sir. Mary knew, but she believed. She believed what God told her. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul writes, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. We have a gift in the word of God that sits before us. Maybe it's on your lap. Maybe it's on your phone. But we have a gift and that we have been given the word of God. But what do we do with it? Because as we go throughout the, all the gospels or even the epistles, we can see that there are many people who heard this. Many people who heard Jesus teach. Many people who read what the apostles later wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they ignored it. They wouldn't listen to it. They cast it aside like it was nothing. But then there were those who believed. There were those who heard the word of God. They received it as the word of God, and they trusted that it would work effectively in them because they believed. What do we do with the word of God? I read my Bible every day. I hope you do too. I will admit, there are days that I read my Bible, and I highlight a few verses, and I close it and go on throughout my day and feel like, well, I read my Bible. I did my job. I did my duty. There are other days where something will hit me, and it'll hit me like a brick. And I will just, I will take that verse, and I will chew on it, and I'll write it in my journal, and I'll pray over it, and I'll think about it throughout the day. I, I like it more when that happens. It's usually my own fault. I let some distraction get in my way for the first place. But when that happens, and I just get to, the, the word of God just sinks in beautiful way. Oh, that's a good day. That's a good moment. Hopefully that's happening to you right now. Hopefully. If it is, that's because the Holy Spirit's at work. But what do we do with the Word of God? Do we believe it? Or do we just kind of pass on it? Just kind of hear it and go through? Now, that's between you and the Lord. I've already admitted there are days I do better than others. But then we can take that out because those moments when it's your time with the Lord, when the word of God is soaking in to you, when it's being beneficial, as 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, when it's being profitable, you know when that comes back? It comes back when you need it. So I have a saying. You all know I, gotta, I love pickleball. Um, 
Does anybody not know that yet? And one of the things that a lot of people in pickleball are fond of saying is that, oh, it was a lucky shot. Right? They hit a shot, it comes over, whatever, good shot. Oh, it was a lucky shot. And I always, I always push back. There's no such thing as luck. No such thing as luck. Preparation meets opportunity. That's what a lot of people call luck. You were prepared. You made the shot. It was a good shot because you were prepared and you executed when you had the opportunity. Preparation and opportunity. Well, what do you think happens when we get into the Word of God? When the Word of God, more importantly, gets into us. That's the preparation. And any of us would tell you, any of us will know that eventually the opportunity will come. Eventually the opportunity will come. I will read things like Isaiah 41.10 that tells us to not be afraid or to be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you and he will uphold you with his righteous right hand. I butchered that verse, but it says something like that. Isaiah 41.10, at least I remember where it's at. I love that verse. And the opportunity to put that verse into practice comes a lot more often than I'd like. Because things happen, and I'm like, well, I don't, oh, Lord, I don't know about this. And he says, be of good courage. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then I have a choice. I've prepared because I've been in the word. Then the opportunity comes. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to be like Mary, who's going to believe what God tells me? Am I going to be like those in Thessalonica, who I'm going to take the word of God and say, yes, this is the word of God, and I'm going to believe it. And when I do, then it's going to effectively work in me. Or am I going to go, yeah, well, you know, and I've heard people say this. I know the Bible says that, but that sentence comes out of your mouth. You're already in trouble. What it should be is I know the word of God says this. So I'm going. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to believe. I don't know how God's going to fix this, but I'm going to believe. I don't know how I'm going to get to the other side of it, but I'm going to believe. Not because, oh, look at me, I'm a great Christian, but because we have a great God who can do the impossible, who can get us to the other side. And so we trust him and we trust his word. As a result of this, Mary responds with a song of praise. And Mary said, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. Oop, I can turn the page. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. In verse 56, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. After hearing Elizabeth, 
Mary is overcome with the need to worship God. And this is often called, this song of Mary, we often call it, or some people call it, the Magnificat. It's a Latin word that comes from the first line of the song, which we're going to talk about more in a moment. Now, there are those who try to elevate Mary. We've talked about this a couple times over the last few weeks. We're going to talk about it again today. There are those who try to elevate Mary far beyond what Scripture teaches us. There are those who go as far to say that Mary is an intermediary. In other words, that you can pray to Mary and that Mary will then go to God on your behalf. That is not true. If you pray to Mary hoping that she has some intercessory power that will benefit you in some way, you are sorely wrong. I don't think anybody here does that, but just in case. There are some who say that Mary is our co-redemptrix. That Mary's work in giving birth to Christ and remaining a perpetual virgin, which is amazing since she had six more kids, but that because of that, she played as big a role in our salvation as Jesus did. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Mary was a person, a blessed person, a person given grace by God, but just a person like you or I. Mary can do no more for you in your eternal salvation than my cup of coffee can. Right? Nothing. That's the point I was getting at. She can't do anything for you. She was a human being, blessed for sure, but just a human being. And if anybody comes to you and says, oh, you know what? You should say a Hail Mary. No, you shouldn't. That is idol worship. Oh, you should ask Mary to bless you. No, you shouldn't. That's idol worship. You want to be blessed? Go to the source. Go right to Jesus. It's that simple. He told us we could. Why would we go anywhere else? Hey, that, all, that applies to the saints as well. It also applies to trees and rocks and the stars of the heaven, and the fish in the sea, and the animals in the forest. And it also applies to me, or to anybody sitting around you. You go directly to God, to Jesus Christ. We all do it. And that's how we're saved, and that's how we live our life of faith. Now, why do I bring this all up? Because Mary recognized this in herself. Mary recognized her need for a savior. Mary recognized that God's grace was upon her. She doesn't claim any of this for herself. Those who elevate her, they just don't read what the Bible says. Or they read it and ignore it. That's why we have to read the word and receive it as it is, the word of God. And believe it the way it's written. Because if we don't, we get into all kinds of trouble. So Mary said... She begins with her, her humility and her recognition of God's grace and work in her life. My soul magnifies the Lord. This is to declare the greatness of God. That's what that word magnify means, to declare his greatness. We did that as we sang songs this morning. We do that as we give God praise for the things he does in our lives. We can do that over a meal and we God thank you for providing this meal I want to declare your greatness because Vince's spaghetti is just so good 
And there's only like three people in the world who are listening to this who know what I'm talking about. But my mom brought me Vince's sauce from California, Vince's spaghetti. Um, it's the best. The be it's the best. The best. It's so good, right? We shared it on Thursday night, and I took the rest of the sauce, and I put it in a jug, and I walked around with that jug. And then I hide it in the fridge. Oh, isn't there more spaghetti sauce? No, I lie. Actually, I don't lie. I say, yes, there is, but you can't have it. It's mine. I'm not selfish about a whole lot of things, but Vince's sauce, I will fight for. It's that good. And you would know that if I'd share it with you, but I won't. You have to go to California and try it for yourself. But when we declare the greatness of God, we can declare his greatness for anything and everything in our lives. It's not limited. It's not limited to when we're in church. We, were, we drove up to uh, Fort Collins, watched my son graduate, which was our son, he's our son, not just mine. Um, watched our son graduate, it was an amazing time. Um, on the way up, Monarch was in bad shape on Thursday. And I was driving a rented minivan that I was not used to, it's a lot heavier than our car. And oh, there was a couple times we just started going sliding over towards the edge and I'm like, Lord, 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 Oh, okay, thank you. Right? I was declaring the greatness of God in that moment, even though I wasn't really doing it out loud. But for anybody who's driven over Monarch, which is all of us, it's a big drop. Why there's not guardrails the whole way is beyond me. Yep, who's going to put it on? That's a good question. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The word rejoice here is to exult jump for joy or have exceeding joy for God who is our savior or deliverer. She knows she can't save herself. If she knows she can't save herself, why would anybody believe that she could save them? It can only come through Jesus. But here, she literally jumps for joy. I think something that has happened throughout Christianity is that we've become very boring. No offense to any of you. None of you were born. But Christians as a whole, we think it's an embarrassing thing to jump for joy for what God has done in our lives. I don't. Or we shouldn't. Now, nobody needs to pull a Huxley and go running down the hallway in nothing but your draws. That's not going to be helpful. And there are some people who they do things just to draw attention to themselves, and that's not helpful either. But we should be completely unashamed in worshiping God. Completely unashamed. Just like Mark. Because he is our Savior. She goes on. He's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She recognizes her humiliation and service to God. Which is what we should all be. We are all, as followers of Christ, servants of Christ. She says, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And certainly we should recognize that Mary was blessed. And this reminds us that she is not the one who gives blessing. God is. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. God is powerful. And he is capable of doing magnificent or perfect works for each of us. The greatness or the greatest of which will always be the salvation he purchased for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. 
I mentioned earlier how every life is valuable to God, and every life is valuable to God. He demonstrated that in the price that he paid for our redemption. Titus 2, 11 through 14 tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So after Mary humility and her recognition of God's grace and work in her life, Mary then exalts God's holiness and character. She goes on, and holy is his name. The word means sacred or blameless. We pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, I'm going to go all King James on it now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed is the same thing. Holy, sacred is the name of God. That's why we don't use it or take it in vain. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. That word mercy there is compassion or tender mercy on those who fear him. God wants to be merciful to each of us. The only thing that we can do to keep that mercy is to live in unrepentant sin and to deny Jesus Christ. Then we're going to get the other side of his character, which is holiness and justice. But when we come to him with a broken and contrite heart, he will always receive us and show us mercy. The Bible says so. He has shown strength with his arm. That word means dominion, might, or power. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Did you ever think, why did God choose what is likely a 15-year-old unmarried girl to carry his son? Anybody? Why? Didn't he go to the high priest and have his wife give birth to Jesus? Why didn't he go to Caesar and have one of his wives give birth to the Savior? Why didn't he go to someone who was wealthy or someone who had great social status or, or on and on and on? Why? Why did he choose Mary? Because he puts down the mighty and he exalts the lowly. It's a question I ask myself a lot. Not about the birth of Jesus, though I do ask that every December. But I ask it about me. Why did he choose me to do what I do? You guys know me pretty well, but you don't know it all. That's a fact. I know it all. And I am constantly amazed that God would choose me. Because I wouldn't. And no offense, I'm pretty amazed that he's chosen you too. Just to put us all in the same field. Because it's true. He shouldn't use me. He shouldn't use you. He shouldn't use any of us. But he does. 
What a glorious gift. Remember, we just read it in 1 Peter 5, 5, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then it says, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Matthew 5, 6 in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? Not blessed are those who are perfect. Not blessed are those who are blameless. Not blessed are those who never make mistakes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes, but I can honestly say I want more of him. I want more of him. And when I want more of him, his word promises me that I'll get it. And then finally, Mary recognizes God's faithfulness to Israel. He has helped his servant Israel in remember of his mercy. Psalm 98, verse 3, he has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God has been faithful to the nation of Israel as long as the nation of Israel has been around. Why? Because it is through the nation of Israel that Jesus came. It is through the nation of Israel that God purchased our salvation. And then we think, well, then God must be done with Israel because Jesus died and rose again. Paul writes to us in the book of Romans, if Israel's rejection led to the salvation of the Gentiles, how much more will Israel's redemption mean for us? Their rejection led to our salvation. The day will come when they will come back. Imagine what that will mean for the world. It's going to be cool. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. Fire, brimstone, darkness, hail, angels descending out of the bottomless pit to torture people. I'm so glad I'm not going to be here. I praise God for the rapture that's coming. Hopefully sooner rather than later. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever, it's all based on a promise because God at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, according to Hebrews 11. He has spoken all of this stuff. He told us all of this would happen. It's the beauty of prophecy. I encourage you to study prophets. And we were talking about this a little bit this morning. Not the YouTube prophets. Don't listen to them. I'm talking about getting into the word and looking at the prophecy that's in here. Because the prophecy that's in here told us that Jesus would come. And he did. The prophecy in here told us where Jesus would be born. And that's where he was born. The prophecy in here told us where he would call hometown. And that's where he had hometown. The prophecy in here told us he would go to Egypt. And he did. And on and on and on. The prophecy in here told us that he would die. The prophecy in here told us that he would be raised again. And he was. The prophecy in here told us he's coming back. And he will. And I can't wait. I ain't making no predictions. I never will. It could be before I'm done preaching. It could be before we get to Christmas Day. It could be five years from now. It could be a hundred years from now. It could be, I don't know. I don't care. I believe the word of God because the word tells us he's coming back preparation and opportunity folks the only way to be prepared when that opportunity comes 
is to believe in Jesus Christ. In verse 56, we see that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months, right up to the time of John's birth. It would appear, though, and we'll talk about this more on Wednesday when we get to the next section, that Mary was not present for John's birth. Let's close. Life is precious. Today we saw the lives of two women who were being dramatically changed by God. We saw how life recognized life as both Elizabeth and John recognized Jesus, the Son of God, who was inside Mary at the time. And we also see the humility of Mary as she praised God for his incredible work in her life. What do we do with it? I always ask this, and I'm always going to. What do we do with it? Number one, can you rejoice in God your Savior? In other words, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, turning from your sin and resting in his death and resurrection as the source of your salvation. I woke up this morning and a little groggy, a little chilly, a little chilly this morning, felt good though. And all I could think was, I get to go to church today. I get to worship the Lord today. I get to fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ today. I'm probably going to get a hug from Huxley. I better get a hug from Huxley. Right? What an awesome day it's going to be. I rejoice in God my Savior every single day because I know without him I would be lost. If there's anybody here who doesn't know that, anybody listening online, anybody who hears this recording later, let us know. Leave us a comment. Visit our website, newsongunction.net. Let us introduce you to Jesus Christ. Number two, are there any areas in your life where pride has taken over which need to be filled with humility? Um, I, I dare you and warn you to ask God about those. It's not always fun, but it's neat. I know I struggle with pride. I struggle with pride way too often. And God is very faithful to knock me down a few notches whenever I need it. But if there is something, bring it before his throne. Let him deal with it in your life. Finally, as we think on the goodness and faithfulness of God in our own lives, what can our souls magnify God for today? This is a fun one. right? Usually my questions at the end are kind of mean. This is a fun one. Just think of at least one area in your life where you can declare the greatness of God. I, have, uh, I wrote that down the other when I was working on this, and I have so many. Uncountable, not just in the fact that I'm saved or that I have the word or that I have the privilege to be your pastor or the privilege to be married to my wife or the privilege to be the father to my kids or all of those things. There's a thousand more, probably more. And I'm so grateful. Let's pray. Father, we declare your greatness this morning. The greatness of God, our Savior. Because you alone are worthy of all our praise and all the glory for everything in our lives. And I pray, my Lord Jesus, for you to have mercy on each of us in those areas of pride we need to let go of. 
to help us recognize that your grace and presence and power is always with us. And that you would help us to live lives that honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen.